right. Thank you for that good singing. Would you take your Bibles, please, the book of Acts, chapter number 15, and let's pick up where we left off from this morning. And I want to, let's read the text again, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 down to verse 31. And I want to try to finish the thought that I began this morning on this subject of contention. What a blessing. First Sunday of the new year, and you want to preach on contention. Uh, let's pray that that's not a prelude to things to come. Somebody say amen. Uh, maybe it ain't. I know y'all don't have uh, church fights in Kentucky. We have church fights in Alabama. We put on the calendar. And uh, this is about the time of the year where you sit down together and put things on the calendar. And we usually have a good church fight around May. And uh, amen. Uh, maybe, maybe it won't be that way here. Thank the Lord. It ain't got to be a train wreck. Somebody say amen. Church don't have to be a train wreck. It don't have to be a, 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 a splits and splinters and bad things. Uh, church can be what God intended church to be, and that is the pillar and ground of the truth. Thank God for the church. Church is God's idea, and church is a good idea. And by the way, church is not this building. I know y'all miss being in here, and uh, but church is not this building. Church is the body. You are the church, and thank God for it. We'll get real creative if they said, we can't meet together in, inside the building anymore. Then we'll get real creative. We'll meet down by the river. That's what they did in Psalm 137. And in Acts chapter 16, they met down by the river because there was no church. We'll get real creative if they said we couldn't meet inside the building. But we're going to have church. We've always had church and we always will have church. Somebody ought to holler amen for that. Jesus said where two or three are gathered, that's a church. He said where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Amen. And it may take on, Brother Jared, I'm sorry. It may take on a different uh, look. Uh, I'm not prophesying. My daddy wasn't no prophet and I'm no prophet but, uh, but it, this thing started out in houses, meeting from house to house. Might go back to that. I'm not saying it will. I just, I don't know. I'm just saying it started out that way. And But thank God we're going to have church one way or another. Uh, point being, you're sitting there in your house watching on uh, Facebook. Amen. Acts chapter number 15 and verse number 36. Let me look at my... Let me look at my watch here. I want to be done uh, at the end of this sermon. That's very, that's very convenient because that's usually about the time I quit. Acts chapter number 15 and verse number 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, 
and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Ask God to bless the reading of his word and the preaching. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us a book that we can hold in our hand and, and hide in our heart. I thank you that we've not been left to ourselves to grope in the darkness and to feel our way through life. Thank you that we have a final authority. God's holy word. I pray you would help us now as we look into thy word. I pray you would help us to rightly divide it. I pray that, Lord, you would you'd write it upon the tables of our heart that we might not sin against thee. We'll love you, thank you, praise you, glorify you best we know how. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Look at our text verse again. Verse 39, And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. Now, you Bible students are familiar with the laws of hermeneutics. That's just a fancy way of saying the science of studying the Bible. And there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And this word contention, did you know the Bible has its own dictionary? The Bible defines its, its words that it uses. And according to the Bible dictionary within the Bible, this word, it means strife. Four out of the nine times that the word contention appears in the King James Bible, the word strife is in that, is in that same verse. That is the law of, uh, that is the law of repetitive mention. That's, uh, that's a connecting word. There's a contention is connected to the word strife four out of nine times. And so simply put, there's strife. Now, now we can handle contention. When it's, when it's uh, good versus evil, we expect it. We expect there to be strife. We ought to strive against that which is wrong. Somebody say amen. We can, we can handle it. When it's uh, bad versus good, when it's uh, light versus dark, when it's uh, right versus wrong, we can handle that kind of contention. But this is a contention. Uh, it's a different contention. It's not a contention without. By the way, it's not those problems that are without the church that are hurting the church. It is not the drug crowd, the liquor crowd. Help me somebody. It's, it's those problems that are within, that are within, that are hindering and hurting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have contention. And the contention was so sharp. It's a play on words. The word contention here is used twice in the Greek. And he's, what he's, he's saying the contention was so contentious. 
that they could not, that, that they had to separate, they had to depart asunder. They could not work it out with words. They couldn't, they couldn't fix it. They couldn't come to an agreement. They had to depart one from the other. Oh my, such contention. I tried my best to introduce this thought this morning by talking about the difficulty of differences. And here are two very different men, Barnabas and Paul. Paul and Barnabas, they're both Hebrews. Uh, they're, they're, both, uh, they're both saved. I hope you'll say amen when I tell you they're both saved. Amen. And they're both filled with the Holy Ghost. They're both in the ministry. They're both in the will of God. It, it would help me, I said it this morning, I'm going to say it again. It would help me to discern who's right and who's wrong if, if just one of them had some skeletons in his closet. If just one of them had, uh, had an ulterior motive. If there was a, if there was a problem, if, it was, if there was some kind of issue that you could point out to, you could probably discern Discern which one was right and which one was wrong, but that's that's the problem here. We can't tell. We'll get to that in just a minute. But here, Barnabas and Paul are not contentious people. We live in a contentious world, and we have we are. By the way, we live in a contentious time. Somebody say Amen. Has anybody noticed that coronavirus not only brought this uh, this uh, sickness, but it also brought a fear and a uh, uh, a contentious spirit. There's a bad spirit in the world today. I can't help but think it's got something to do. Nobody wants you coming around them. Nobody. You can't even go. If you go down the wrong aisle at Walmart, help me somebody. Honey, if you want me to go down, if, you're, if there's a Walmart manager listening to me, if you want me to go down the aisle a certain way, put the blessed fired arrow on the same sign the canned corn is on because I'm looking for canned corn. I'm not looking at the floor. I'm looking up here where the canned goods is, help me somebody. Amen. Put it on the sink. Don't look, don't look at me like you're gonna cut me. Cause I I took four steps into the aisle the wrong direction. Help me somebody. Well, anyhow, we we live in a contentious world. We these are contentious times. And it don't surprise me when when you have contention, when there's contentious people, we all know somebody like that. Don't nobody testify. Don't 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 be type, don't be tagging. Don't be tagging nobody. We all know somebody that can't stand it unless there's a problem. They can't, they're not happy unless they're mad. Help me, somebody. We all know somebody who loves strife. We're not talking about that kind of people here. We're talking about Barnabas and Paul. You do know. You do know that they first were called Christians in Antioch. I believe that's in chapter 11. Uh, do you know who they were talking about? They were talking about Barnabas and Saul. They were talking about these two men. They first, they coined the term Christian. That means Christ-like. They said these men look like Jesus. They act like Jesus. They talk like Jesus. They, they live like Jesus. They remind us of Jesus. And, they, and we're talking about Paul and Barnabas in chapter 17. The, the enemies of, of Christianity said these that have turned the world upside down. He said they turned the world upside down. Do you know who they're talking about? They're talking about the preaching of Paul and Barnabas. These were not contentious men. But yet it happened. That's the, that's the 
crisis of contention. I'm going to give you four things. I got a little outline. Four things. The crisis of contention. If it can, some of y'all out there thinks it can't happen to you because you're such a nice person. Ain't nobody nicer than Barnabas. They called him the son of consolation. He was Mr. Encourager. If, you, if there was somebody that was down, Barnabas could pick him up. That was what he did, and he was good at it. Nobody nicer than Barnabas. Amen. And here we have contention. And if it could happen to, and they, by the way, these men, these men might have had differences, different ministries, different methods, uh, different mindsets about how things ought to happen. And that's really, that's really what is happening here. But they, they had the same, they had the same goal in mind. They were walking in the will of God. And both of these men, both of these men loved the Lord and they loved each other. They were best friends. It was, it was Barnabas that came and got Paul when he was Saul and nobody wanted anything to do with him. Nobody believed he really got saved. They thought it was a trick so to arrest them and nobody wanted to have him around and it was Barnabas that slipped an arm around him and brought him into the apostles and said, he's okay, he's one of us. They were friends. They were brothers. They were, they were, they were fellow laborers. But there was contention. That's the crisis of contention. Number two, I'm going to try to get down. You know how most preachers, there's only really one thing they want to say, and but they got to go around the barn to get to, that's how I'm doing it. I didn't make you stuff. It's not my, I didn't plan it. No, number two, the cause of contention. Here, this is very interesting. You'll notice I did not use the plural causes because in one of the in the first mention, by the way, that's another one of them laws. I showed you the law of, of repetitive mention earlier, four out of the nine times. Here's the law of first mention. The very first time a word appears in the Bible, by the way, it only works with the King James Bible. Don't try to use it if you use one of them other ones. It only works. But... But the first mention of a word bears weight all throughout its appearances in the Bible and such is the case with this word contention. The first mention of the word contention is in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 10. And here's what it says. Only by pride cometh contention. There's only one way. That pride could come. The Bible, the, the same Bible that tells you that Jesus died, rose, died and rose again and is coming again. He, it's the same Bible that told you there's only one way that contention can come. And that is through the avenue of pride. When there is pride present, contention will be there. And that is the only way contention can come. It's because of pride. Now, I don't care if you're talking about church contention. I don't care if you're talking about work contention, if you're talking about political contention, if you're talking about racial contention, if you're talking about marital contention, it doesn't matter what kind of contention it is. It's only by pride that that contention comes, the cause of contention. And now you're wondering whose who's pride we're talking about. 
you're wondering, is it Paul was full of pride? Because, you know, this whole thing started out Barnabas and Saul, eventually Barnabas and Paul. And, and then somewhere along the lines, it switched to Paul and Barnabas. You remember, uh, they went, uh, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the town that they went to. You read it this morning if you did your homework. Uh, the town they went to, and uh, and they tried to, they tried to sacrifice to them, and they called Barnabas. They said the gods, this old boy was lame, and Paul healed him, and they, and they said the gods have come down, and they called Paul Jupiter. Excuse me, they called Barnabas Jupiter, and they called Barnabas. They, they called Barnabas Jupiter. They called Paul Mercurius, Mercurius. Mercurius, Mercury, Mercurius, whatever, it's in there, you'll find it. Because he was the chief speaker. And so was it Paul? Was it Paul that was full of pride? I remember reading one time where, where they went into a synagogue and after the, uh, after the regular church service, I guess this is where, you ever, heard, you ever been in a church service? I don't think I've heard Brother James do this. Most preachers that's got sense don't do it. They'll At the end of a good service, they'll say, all right, ever heart and mind clear. <laughs> that opens up the door for anybody. Help me somebody. Anybody, you, won't, you might do that in Kentucky and get by with it, but you won't do that in Alabama, honey, not, not too many times. Because somebody's going to get up and tell you about when they seen Jesus. Not, not figuratively in the Bible, but but. But for real, a 50-foot-tall Jesus that walked through their pine thicket the other day. Help me, somebody. So, but this is what that man said. After the proceedings of the, of the, tap, of the, temp, of the synagogue service, they, they, they looked over at Barnabas and Paul and said, Have you any word of exhortation? You know, it's funny that they said we would like a word of exhortation. And, uh, and really, if, if anybody ought to have given a word of exhortation, it should have been Barnabas. Because that's what his name means. The son of consolation, it means exhortation. He was an encourager. He could stand up and encourage. If you, if you ever had a dead church service, you could call Brother Barnabas, stand up and testify, and in two minutes he could have them on their feet shouting. He could make you feel good. Hallelujah. Goosebumps, so big a piglet could suck on them. You'd be swinging from the chandeliers, taking laps around the building. Have you got a word of exhortation? And thank God, Thank God sometimes we need a word of exhortation. But Paul stood up. Oh, it wasn't no word of exhortation, honey. It was a word of warning. He preached to them one of the very few times you see an actual sermon from Paul in the Bible. An actual sermon. I'm not talking about his epistles. An actual sermon from Paul. If you don't count Hebrews, which I think is a sermon, but I don't think Paul preached it. I think he penned it. I don't think he preached it. I think Stephen preached it. But that's a different sermon for a different time. One of the few times Paul preached, and it wasn't no exhortation sermon. It was a warning. So whose pride are we talking about? That leads me to my third and the main point I really wanted to get to. And that is the confusion of contention. Anytime there's contention... Folks want to know one thing. Who's right and who's wrong? 
If you are married, you can holler, hey, man, I don't care if she is sitting right there beside you. Only ca- she ain't in there. You know where. She- I don't know what she's doing. You don't know what she's doing. She's in there doing something. She'll watch it later, she said. Anyhow, I'm being facetious. Or maybe I'm not. The confusion of contention. We're trying to, most of the commentators, the ones that don't skip it, are trying their best to figure out who was right and who was wrong. In order to do that, you've got to find out a little bit of something about both of these men and the differences that they have. I'm going to get into it very quickly. I'm going to tell you a little something about about, about, uh, Paul. Paul had a, what I I call a, I always get these backwards. What is it when you can see up, uh, see far away, but you can't see up close? Noah. Okay. Thank you. Paul had a far-sighted ministry. What I mean by that is Paul, every, every day he woke up, his eye was always on the masses. His, in his heart, he, he had the masses on his heart. You, you see, when, when, when Jesus gave Paul the great commission to go everywhere and preach to every creature, Paul took that so literally that he felt like it was his responsibility to go everywhere and preach to everybody. Paul knew that sin was a disease that was killing folks and that he had the antidote, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It was sending people to hell and Paul had the message, the antidote, and it was his responsibility to go to the masses. People are going to die and go to hell unless I can get to them with the gospel. And he always had the masses on his mind. He's always looking at the masses. He had a far-sighted ministry. He couldn't sit still. He had spiritual ADHD. You can read through the book of Acts, the life of Paul. Honey, he'd get up in one town in this on, on this day and go to bed three towns later. And he didn't have an automobile like you and I have. He, amen. He, he had been, been in Pat. Bend your knee and pat your feet. Amen. That's how he got from place to place. Unless he caught ride on a camel or a boat. But he, he couldn't sit still. He'd go to this place and then he'd preach a little bit. And then he'd go, here's how Paul planted churches. He'd go to a town, stay four weeks and leave. Go to another town, stay four weeks and leave. Go to another town, stay four weeks and leave. I think the longest he ever stayed anywhere... I think the longest he ever stayed anywhere, unless I'm mistaken, is he stayed in, unless he stayed longer at Antioch, which he might have had. But in Corinth, I'm talking about as his as his ministry was concerned, he stayed in uh, Corinth. Uh, I think he stayed in Corinth a year and a half. Or maybe a little bit longer than that. I don't remember exactly. I'm not studying the second missionary journey just yet. Bear with me. But Paul didn't stay too awful long. He went to Thessalonica, stayed three weeks, and left. Went to Athens. I don't know how long he was in Athens, but it wasn't long. Might not have been overnight when he saw how holy the city was given to idolatry. I can only give you one sermon that he preached there on Mars Hill, and then he was gone. They said, we want to hear you again. Well, that's the last time they ever seen of him, and he never went back. 
That's how Paul was. They'd get up in the morning and say, Paul, where are we going to go? He said, I'll tell you where we're going to go. We're going to go over here. We're going to go to Thessalonica. And then we're going to go down to Berea. And then we're going to go over here to Athens. And we're going to Athens. We're going to go to Corinth. We're going to Corinth. We're going to go over here. We've got to go to Cilicia. I've got to go. we got to go to Jerusalem. i got to go to Jerusalem. i got to go to Jerusalem. Then we're going to go. I'm going to go to Rome. got to go to Rome. Then we're going to I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to go to Spain. Going to Macedonia. Then I'm going to Spain. I'm going to go. I, he's, he wants to go everywhere and preach to everybody. He had that far sighted ministry. With his eyes on the masses. That's the ministry of Paul. You'd come, you'd come up to Paul and you'd tell him something like, Brother Paul, would you pray? Would you please pray for my next door neighbor's great grandmother? She's 97 years old. She's having laparoscopic surgery. Please, would you pray for And he would just get this look on his face. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, let's load this boat. We got to go. We're burning daylight. He'd walk away, and you get mad at Paul. Paul, Paul don't sing birthdays and anniversaries. Paul don't waste time. Help me, somebody. Paul don't waste time making announcements. Paul, help me, somebody. Paul spends more time preaching than he does taking prayer requests. Hey, he's more interested in people dying and going to hell than laparoscopic surgery. You, you'd, leave, you'd leave out of Paul's uh, presence. You'd say, I ain't never going back to his church again. Why, he don't even care about folks. Did you hear what he's done? You see what he did when I told him about my next door neighbor's granny? Lathroscopic surgery ain't nothing to be scoffed at, buddy. That's some serious stuff. They, they break the skin and everything. <laughs> it ain't that Paul didn't care about the individual. It's that his eyes were always on the masses. That's his ministry. He had that far-sighted ministry. Well, Barnabas, I ain't done. I ain't done talking about Paul. Can I tell you something? Look, 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 at, your, look at your Bible. Look at your Bible. How come Paul didn't want John Mark to go? He, it, he explains it. Verse number 38, Paul thought not good to take him with take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Underscore those three little words at the end of verse 38, the, to the work. You see, right there in the middle of the first missionary journey, the hardest missionary journey, John Mark left out of there and went back home to Mama. Yeah, and, and we needed every man, every man that we had. There's only so much room on them boats. We needed every man. There could have been another man that come in there would have stayed with us. And Paul's attitude is that we ain't got time for quitters and wine bag, cry baby mama's boys in our boat. You can't get in our boat unless you're going to stick it out and tough it out. You know what motivates Paul? It's the work. Look at the bottom of 39. To the work. You know what Paul was motivated by? The work. He'd get up in the morning thinking about the work. He'd go through the day thinking about the work. He'd go to bed at night thinking about the work. You know why Paul wouldn't pay no attention to you while you're giving these, these uh, little prayer requests help me somebody because he was always thinking about the work he was thinking about the work the work, the work, the work, the work what time even is it 
explain something to you about a preacher. No, I'm going to be real personal because I love y'all. Let me explain something to you about your preacher. You ever notice that look he gets in his, on, his, on his face? You ever come in here and you say, Preacher, uh, we're not going to be there next Sunday because we just bought this 1972 model pop-up camper and it only got three leaks and so I patched it with some duct tape and Gorilla Glue like a brand new and, and we and we're going camping and so and we're not going so we and we can't miss no work so we're going to leave out after work Friday go 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 camp Friday evening all day Saturday all day Sunday come back in Sunday night late cause you know we got to get back to work Monday cause I mean priorities and everything and and so we're not going to be here Sunday and um and the next Sunday neither cause down at the lake where we rented that camping spot you got to rent two weeks and so we're gonna miss, I don't want to lose no money on this deal. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna miss this Sunday and and next Sunday too. You you notice that look he gets on his face? Huh? Am I doing it right? Let me explain that to you. It's not that he don't want you to go camping. He wants you to go camping. Go camping. You need to go camp. He needs to go camping. Help me somebody. He knows you need to go camping. You need family time and he knows that. The church is, is, a, is, a, is a chain made up of family. The links are the families and the, and, the, and the chain is only as strong as the weakest link in the family unit has got to be strong. You need to go camping and he knows you need to go camping and he wants you to go camping. He don't want, he's not against you going camping. He wants you to go camping. Um, let me explain that look. That look on his face. Let me translate that for you. He's been in his study all week. He's been praying for you. He can close his eyes and see your face. He can see your children's face. He knows where you sit. He comes over here at night during, when you're gone and he kneels down at the side of the pew where you pray, where you sit, and he prays for your family. And he's been begging God and God gives him a verse. And, and, and contrary to popular opinion, this thing of getting sermons together. It's not like a microwave hot pocket that you can just pop in the microwave in a minute and a half. Ding! And you got one, honey. No, no, it's, it doesn't work that way. God, God, sometimes he'll flip through his Bible and it'll be blank and, and he'll beg God and beg God to give him something to feed, to feed his people and God will show him something and God will give him something and he'll study on it and he'll build something and he'll sit and study and he'll say, oh, that's going help them and that's going to help them and this is going to be a blessing to them and thank God for that and just to get here and you're going to tell him you're, going to not, you're not going to be there it's not that he don't want you to come go camping it's just that you're going to miss that does that make sense I hope that makes sense to you the work you see, this is not just something we do on the weekend. Our whole lives are committed to this thing. The work, the work. That's Paul. Far-sighted ministry. His eyes are always on the masses. Well, then there's Barnabas. Barnabas had a near-sighted ministry. 
That's what I am. Oh, no. No, I can. Anyway, I get them confused. Paul had a far-sighted ministry. Barnabas had a nearsighted ministry. It's not that Barnabas didn't care about the masses. He got in the boat. In fact, he was, he was one of the first, if not the first, to get in the boat in this whole missionary thing. He was the first one, sold everything, sold his land, brought it in there to the church and said, hey, I don't need this no more. Uh, Y'all can do with it whatever you want to. I'm going to get in the boat and go around the world and tell people about Jesus. And it was Barnabas. So Barnabas does care about the masses. But his ministry is to the individual. He had a nearsighted ministry. You know what Barnabas was before God saved him? He was a Levite from the tribe of Levi. They were the priestly tribe. Under that Old Testament economy, if a man had to go find God, he had to go find a Levite. You see an old Levite standing out by the tabernacle door in the Old Testament tabernacle watching here comes some Hebrew boy dragging the best sheep, the best lamb that he had in his flock, crying. He'd get to the door of the tabernacle and say, Preacher, I messed up. I sinned against God. And I brought a sin offering. I need you to go talk to God. He'd say, Timmy, son, come here. And he'd put an arm around him and say, Timmy, tell me what you did. And he'd tell him, he'd say, oh, that's bad. That's bad. Let me, let me go see if I can talk to you. Let me go see if I can't get a hold of God for you. And that priest would take that little lamb in the presence of God, that boy standing outside waiting and pacing at the door of the tabernacle. And that priest would go inside the presence of God and he'd say, God, there's a man out there at the door and he's sorry. He sinned against heaven in my sight and he's sorry, Lord, and he's brought a sacrifice. What do you want me to tell him? And God will tell him, you tell him I said, hallelujah, that lamb will suffice to roll his, soul, his sin away. And thank God he'll transfer that sin onto that lamb. That lamb will die in his place. He'll go back to that door and say, I got good news for you. God said everything's fine. Hallelujah. God said he accepts your sacrifice. It's to the individual. Barnabas' ministry was to the individual. His was a nearsighted ministry. You see, when you'd walk away from Paul mad at him, ready to quit church, because he wouldn't listen to your prayer requests about your next door neighbor's granny, old Barnabas would come around and say, hey, brother, come here. What'd you, what'd you tell the preacher? What, what'd, you, what'd you say? You say your next door neighbor's great-grandmother, was it? Lathroscopic surgeon. Next month, let's pray for her. Oh, God, and he'd call on God, and he'd mean it too. Because that's what he does. That's his ministry to the individual. Hallelujah. You see, both these men had a ministry. They were exact opposites. And that's what made them such a perfect team. They complemented one another. They completed one another. That's why the Holy Ghost in chapter 13 said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work of the ministry. Barnabas came from the tribe of Levi, that priestly tribe. Paul, 
No, he came from the tribe of Benjamin, the fighters. There's two Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the Old Testament, one of the New, and there's both fighters. One of them started out really good, went really bad. One of them started out really, really bad, went really, really good. Help me, somebody. Hallelujah. Fighters. That's what Paul was. Would you go with me to chapter 11? I want to show you what, I want to show you, I want to show you why these two made such a great team. Chapter 11. Hold your place in chapter 15. What time is it? It's not the end of the sermon yet. Chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 11. Verse 22, tidings had come to the ears of the church in Jerusalem about the uh, believers uh, and they sent Barnabas as far as Antioch. Verse 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them, huh, Mr. Encourager, that, that, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus. Why did Barnabas leave and go to Tarsus? For to seek Saul. Huh? And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You keep reading, you'll find out that, that, that there was a multiply. The disciples were, began to be multiplied. Here's what happened. Barnabas ministry is good to get folks started. I wish I wish there was somebody I, I, a lot of people need a Barnabas to get them started because getting started in, getting started in Christianity sometimes is hard. Sometimes it's difficult to get started. Everything's new. Everything's hard. Huh? And you need a Barnabas. Come along behind. Come along beside you. Put an arm around you. Encourage you. Huh? Lift you up. Make you feel better. You ever seen a, I can show you a Barnabas. When they'll come in there and they'll pick out somebody and they'll make, they'll seem to make it all about them. Barnabas will make you think that this whole thing is all about you. You'll leave out of Barnabas' present thinking, I was ready to quit. Hallelujah. A lot of people need a Barnabas to get started. Oh, that's what Barnabas does, honey. 
Barnabas helps get that. Barnabas helps get things started. You'll read about it in Acts chapter number five. He'll, he sold that property. He is wealthy. Wealthy had a piece of property, probably in Jerusalem, and sold it. Brought it in there, helped the helped the infant church in Jerusalem get started. And guess when the next time they seen him, it was a, a famine. I told you about that this morning. And they got a collection together in Antioch, and they brought it. And guess who they picked? They picked old Barnabas. So the next time the believers in Jerusalem saw Barnabas, he was giving them another love offering. Help me, somebody. Hey, hey, praise God. Honey, when you're just about out, when you're just about down, when you've just about got nothing else left, there'll be a Barnabas show up. Hallelujah. And God will use that to help you. Thank God for the ministry of a Barnabas. Barnabas will brag about you. He'll make you feel like somebody. Hallelujah. You ever notice Barnabas? You ever been around the Barnabas? I know Barnabas. I'm talking about big shot preachers. Barnabas. And then come up to me, talk to me like I was the president of the United States. Huh? And make you feel like it's all about you. And it'll help you. Thank God for folks, because it helped people get started. He helps the church get started. He helps Christians get started. Can anybody remember who helped Paul get started? Do you remember who helped Saul? Help me somebody. Let's, let's not forget that here in Acts chapter 15 with the contention so sharp between them. It would have done old Paul good to remember that it was Barnabas that came and got him and put an arm around him and brought him up there and said, he's ours. He's with us. He's one of us. Barnabas helped. Helped the church get started, Acts chapter 5. Uh, I guess it was Acts chapter 9. He helped Paul get started. And uh, Acts chapter 11, he helped the church at Antioch get started. Are y'all following this? But did you see in Acts chapter 11, he encouraged them. But they needed something else. Did y'all see that? He encouraged them in Acts chapter 11. But then he left and went and found Paul, Saul, in Tarsus and brought Saul in. You know why he did that? Because he knew. His ministry was a ministry to get people started. But if you're going to go to that next level, mm, I, wonder if you'll, I wonder if you'll say amen right here. If you're, going, if you're going to go to that next level of Christianity, if you're going to go to that next level, you're going to need more than a Barnabas. You're going to need a Paul. Somebody, somebody that's got you motivated. Somebody that'll chew you out. Help me, somebody. I know it ain't fun. I know it ain't fun. I know it ain't good. It ain't. It ain't uh, uh, something you want. It ain't. But it's necessary. Oh, it's necessary. You need somebody that'll preach against sin. Somebody that'll tell you when you're wrong. Somebody that'll. I'm talking about the ministry of Paul. Somebody that Paul said we ain't got time for wine bag cry baby wine. Hey, Paul said he ain't. He ain't getting on my boat. He ain't getting on the boat. He's a quitter. He's a mama's boy, wine bag, cry baby, quitter. And we ain't got time for quitters. You can't build a ministry with quitters. You can't build a Sunday school class with folks that are in one month and out the next month, tithe one month and not the next month. You can't build nothing. You can't have a ministry with people like that. We ain't got time for quitters. And guess what? If you're still wondering who's right and who's wrong, Paul was right.
Paul was right. Would you say, man, if I were to tell you Paul was right when he said, we ain't got time for quitters. We ain't got time for wine bag, crybaby mama boys. In the ministry. It's hard, Paul. I don't care the work. Paul was right. Paul was only operating in his ministry. Let me say it like this. For some people, there is the necessity of a nearsighted ministry like Barnabas. They need somebody to come over and pay them attention. There are low-maintenance church members. Can I shout a minute? Is it past time? What time even is it? Can I shout about low-maintenance church members? Paul had three. He had four. But uh, Aristarchus is sort of, he got arrested with Paul. So that's kind of like, there. I call them the three, the three musketeers, but there were four of them. But then there were four musketeers, wasn't there? But there were three. They called them the three musketeers. But if you count D'Artandian, then there were four of them. And I guess the French aren't very good at math. But but Paul had three. In, 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 in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it was, it was Lucas, Demas, and Marcus. And those were the three. Those were the three. He wouldn't send them. Help me somebody. He'd send them others, but he wouldn't send them. No, because they were fellow laborers. They were co-workers. Whatever Paul did, they did. Whatever they did, Paul did. They were a team, and they did it together. And Paul needed them, and he, they needed him, and that's how they did it. It was Luke, Luke and Mark and Demas. Demas forsook him, and there was a deficit, and that's why he had to call Timothy to come. And then Mark, help me somebody, Mark quit in the middle, middle of the thing and left, but then he said, take Mark and bring him. Help me, hallelujah. Bring him. He's profitable. But then there was old Luke. Thank God. Luke, Mark, Mark got out but came back in. Demas got out and never came back in. But Luke, thank God he never got out. Thank God for them that just get in and stay in. And thank God for low maintenance church members. They require a lot less. But some folks, like Mark, John Mark, Require a little more maintenance. Are y'all tired? Just push pause, honey. If you're tired, bless your heart. Push pause. Go get you a biscuit. Well, it's not. What time even is it? That's, it's bad. You could tell you're fat when you want to eat biscuits at night. Ain't that bad, honey? That's bad. My wife thought biscuits. Rice cake. Some of y'all get a rice cake, glass of unsweet tea, and then push play later. But I'm going to finish this if you don't mind. One last thought. Well, here, let me, let me finish. Paul was right, but I will say this to you, Barnabas, you say, well, if Paul was right, then Barnabas was wrong. No. No, I think that's what the overall problem is in this text. Brother Jared, I think that's why the confusion, I think they were both right. I think that's why neither one of them would budge an inch. Paul was right. He quit. He ain't coming because he quit. It's not good. We don't need quitters. He was right. Well, was, Paul, was Barnabas wrong? No. You mean to tell me you're going to throw somebody away just because they made a mistake in the past? 
You, you mean to tell me that somebody don't deserve a second chance just because they got issues? Help me, somebody. By the way, if you think if you think uh, Barnabas was wrong, if you think Barnabas was wrong, here's what one man said. They said that Paul was right and Barnabas was wrong simply because the, the whole second half of the book of Acts is about Paul. No, it ain't. It's about Jesus, and it's not about Paul. Help me, somebody. It's about Jesus. The whole book's about Jesus, and it's not about Paul. And I, my loyalty lies at the feet of Jesus, not at the feet of Paul. Help me, somebody. He's my hero, and thank God for him, but this book's about Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus. It's not about Paul. It, the, the first part's not about Peter. The second part's not about Paul. The whole book's about Jesus. Yeah. Amen. And, and if you think Barnabas was wrong, read, read 2 Timothy chapter 4. I think it's verse number 10. Maybe it's verse number 11. He said, take Mark and bring him with thee because he is profitable to me for the ministry. Well, how did he go from being a quitter to being profitable? Because Barnabas' ministry works. He took him down to Cyprus and he helped him. He applied that one-on-one. He helped old Paul. John Mark grew up and Uncle Barney, thank God, he helped him. Barnabas was right. You don't throw folks away just because they've got a problem. Well, let me give you the last point and I'm done right here. I showed you the crisis of contention. If it could happen to Paul and Barnabas, happen to anybody. The cause of contention, only by pride, by the way. You want, to, you want to know whose pride it is? It's John Mark. The only one that could have put a halt to that fight was over standing with a smirk on his face watching two men fight over him. Huh? John Mark could have stepped in between Paul and Barnabas and said, no, 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 you're not going to fight about me. I'm going to stay here with my mom. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm, going, to help my, I'm going to help mom with her Thursday night prayer meetings back at the house. I'll help, I'll help Brother James uh, with the church there in Jerusalem. I'll, I'll help Peter. I'll, I'll do whatever I got to do here. And, and y'all go and I'll pray for y'all. And on the next trip, if you think I'm ready, I'll go with them. But I'm not going to, y'all not going to do this about me. John Mark could have been a peacemaker, but he didn't. There's where your pride's at. Wasn't Paul's pride? Wasn't Barnabas's pride? Here's the problem. Paul was right. And Barnabas was right. Hmm. Now here's the cost. The crisis of contention. The cause of contention. The confusion of contention. And now the cost of contention. We don't have any any evidence in the scripture whatsoever of Paul and Barnabas ever getting back together. The last mention we have, Barnabas and Mark got in a boat and went to Cyprus. Paul and Silas got in a boat and went the other way. They departed asunder one from the other. Greatest missionary team the world ever saw. Best friends Busted up. You know why? Because they was both right. Paul said, I'm right. Barnabas said, well, I'm right. And what was bad is they were both right. And that's how it is, ain't it? You ever been in an argument? Don't testify. Don't tag nobody. Arguments go on and on and on and on forever. When everybody's right. Both of these men were right. But this thing went tragically wrong. Because they had to be right. And some of us. Let me preach to you a minute. Some of us have to be right. 
Some of us cannot admit that we're wrong. I'm going to tell you something, honey. Until you get to the place in your life where you can admit that you're wrong, you'll never be right. They were both right, but somehow it went wrong. Now, I didn't have time to go there, but, but this, there was another two-party contention with Paul and Peter. You can read about that in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul said, I would stood him to the face. Paul called him a hypocrite in front of everybody in the church. It was bad, too, because Peter was down there eating ham sandwiches with the Gentile believers in Antioch. And then when the Jews came, he, he separated, started eating uh, matzo balls and playing with tops and lighting candles and such. And Paul called him out on it. It was bad. It was bad. They had a church fight in front of everybody. But somehow or another, it went real good. You look at what, Paul, what Peter said about Paul. In 2 Peter chapter 3 called him our beloved brother Paul. They were both wrong and it went right. Well, these two were both right and it went wrong. And it's never going to be right unless you admit that you're wrong. And, and right now, you're probably thinking about some contentious situation with a family member. I know folks that have family members they don't even speak to. We just finished the holidays and y'all didn't even talk. They didn't even talk to one another. They didn't visit one another. And if they were together in the same room, it was awkward and weird. Because there's contention. And you're trying right now to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Sometimes it's not about who's right and who's wrong. Sometimes it's about what's right and what's wrong. And if you're trying to figure out whether you're right or whether you're wrong, let me help you. You're wrong. There's only one right. He's right. And we're all wrong. I go into his presence often and I tell him, I'm bud and I'm bad. But you're God and you're good. I'm, I'm wrong, but you're right. You need to tell him that. You never be right until you admit you're wrong. You can't get saved until you admit you're lost. You can never get found. There'll never be a solution until you admit there's a problem. Some folks can't never admit there's a problem. You know how I can always tell when somebody's got a problem? When they think they ain't got a problem. <laughs> you, you ever, Brother Jared, you ever heard them testify? Y'all probably don't do this in Kentucky. Every now and then there'll be a testimony service and somebody will always stand up and say, it'd just be a sweet service, you know, people testifying about how good God is, this and that. And there'll always be somebody that'll stand up and say, I love everybody in here. And if I've ever done anything to offend anybody, I'm so sorry. Huh? And the problem is that that's the individual. That's the one individual. <laughs> that's the one individual within a billion barometers that ain't never, ever said anything ever to anybody out of the way. And you're over there going, hallelujah, staring at whoever it is. Amen. Amen. Huh? And that one that's the one that never says stuff like that's the one that ought to. <laughs> if you want to be right, you got to be wrong. Thank God. Thank God for the word of God. Paul and Barnum, the contention, the cost of the contention is these, these two never got back together, unfortunately, unless it, until they got to heaven. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that. There's no time in heaven. And so about the time Paul and Barnabas run into each other around the river of life, we'll all be there 
standing around watching. I will have shoved myself up to the front of the line to watch it carefully. <laughs> oh, my. These two had to part company because they was both right. Well, God help us this year to not let the contentiousness of this world nor the contentiousness of this spirit get on us. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Don't forget to pray for you, Pastor. And pray one for one, one for another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for being so good at being God. Lord, if I, if I did know anybody else that could be God, I'd rather still you be God. You're so good at being God. Oh, I thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're God, especially during these times. And I pray that you would help, help our, dear, our dear friends, Lord. I pray for Brother James and his precious family. And I pray for the folks at, at Unity Baptist Church that you would touch, touch them and heal them and help them. And Lord, fix this thing so we can assemble ourselves together. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Until next time.